Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. Let's talk about the night perspective. Hey guys, I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with Kyle Daly from KH Daily Knives, and this is episode number 011 of the Knife Perspective Podcast. Uh, this episode is going to be the Joshua Swanwagon Exposed. This week, we are going to give you the straight poop on poop knives. How are you doing tonight, Kyle? Pretty good, Dan. How are you doing? Uh, you know, I am a little weary. Some jack wagon uh, wrote an article uh, about my cap heart, and now I've got a bunch of orders, so I've given up on sleep. <laughs> yeah, I can, I understand that. That's cool, though, man. I'm glad it's picking up for you. That's a cool knife. Thank you very much. You know, between working a grown-up job, two kids, and knife making, I'm just assuming you're on, what, straight meth now? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty full throttle all the time. So you just came back from your wedding? Well, not your wedding. Yeah. Somebody's wedding. <laughs> yeah, my sister-in-law's wedding. We, uh, made, I made a, a 10-inch carving knife for the cake, and they almost cut right through the table. So that was pretty cool. That was the one with the, the hybrid with the pearlescent white handle? Yeah, it's the Beyond Woods products, Mother of Pearl, Resin, Shockwood. It was uh, really cool. I had, did some thorn pattern file work on it, and there was uh, a lot of uh, British people there. My new brother-in-law is from England, and a lot of his family was over, and they don't see a ton of knives like that. <laughs> they don't see a lot of knives in Britain, period. Yeah. His brother is a actual works in a butcher facility, so it was pretty cool getting to talk to him about how he uses some of his knives. That had to be a pretty good information source. Yeah, it was pretty neat. Yeah, I, I love talking to people that are that are day in day out users where it's still a, a legitimate tool for them. Yeah, the stuff that I don't notice from an hour or two of use, they do, and it's generally a great thing for just stuff I wouldn't have thought of on my own. Yeah, for sure. So let's get in get into the podcast. We got our uh, sponsor, Jess Hoffman of J. Hoffman Knives and J. Hoffman Hardwoods. Jess makes some awesome knives and has a lot of great handle material, all stabilized by K&G. Lots of cool burls, and uh, I've bought quite a few different pieces from him over the years, and they've turned out really awesome. So I want to thank him for helping sponsor this episode. If you're enjoying this episode, show, uh, show Jess a little love. Go by, check him out, because... We couldn't do it without him. I mean, like, yeah, literally, we couldn't do this. <laughs> yeah. So on Instagram, he's Jay Hoffman Knives for the knives and then Jay Hoffman Hardwoods for the handle material. Uh, and you were using some of his last week. Is that one finished yet? Uh, yeah, the Cherry uh, Mini Bushcrafter turned out really awesome. It actually went to uh, Jason of Diomedes Industries to get a really cool leather sheath with some of his uh, stamping, carving on it turned out really cool for for a buddy of mine for his dad's birthday present uh, did you get pictures of it up i am waiting for it to come back so I'm, yeah, hopefully we'll have pictures of it soon all right 
coming soon to Instagram near you. Yeah. And uh, we want to thank our, our dealers. Uh, you can find Dogwood Custom Knives and KH Daily Knives both at Old Town Cutlery. They've been really good to the both of us. And you can find Dogwood Knives at Knife Center. And are they still the only place that has the Keparts in stock? Are those getting away or? For another two weeks, the last of their three orders will go out this week, and then Old Town has got an order this week, and hopefully after that, I'll have a chance to do some spec knives for my own website. So for the next couple of weeks, Knife Center is going to be the only place to get them, but uh, you'll be able to get them at Old Town shortly. And Old Town is also going to be hosting uh, their first anniversary for their brick-and-mortar store, October 12th. Yeah, I think they're like talking or saying that's called Knife Toberfest or something like that. I think so. And it's going to be do it together with the Georgia Knife Makers Guild. Uh, cool. Which is going to be great. Mark Hopper, who was on Forged and Fire twice, really phenomenal Smith. Uh, he and his apprentice will be there doing demonstrations as well as several members from the Georgia Knife Makers Guild will be doing demonstrations. If you can make it, you'll be there doing a demonstration. Me? Yeah. Oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. It's a little too far of a trip for me to make it for a weekend with uh, the boys and everything. Really? You're not going to drive halfway across the country to do a, a one-day demo for for your loving, dearing fans of Knife Perspective? I thought you were committed to this podcast, man. <laughs> oh, I'm committed. Just <laughs> can't make the trip right now. I, I spent uh, the beginning of this week out in California, or of last week out in California. So I actually found your uh, Knives Illustrated magazine on the Barnes & Noble shelf out there. And it was like tucked behind the back. So it was front and center when I left. So well, thank you very <laughs> much. <laughs> uh, same with uh, Blade Magazine. Wanted to make sure those or people actually see those, uh, get the knife, knife word out there a little bit more. So between... Between work and weddings, you've been a traveling man. Yeah, the the California trip right after the, like literally the Monday after the wedding, we had a 8 o'clock flight out of O'Hare, so that place is always super busy. And we actually flew back to Chicago on 9-11, so that was pretty interesting, flying out of L.A. for that. Beth flew back on 9-11, and she said airports were dead empty. Yeah, I was actually, we were, we got there two and a half hours early for our 8.30 flight and we were through security and everything in like less than 10 minutes. So <laughs> we thought it was going to be a long day and turned out to be really quick. Yeah, I mean, I can't say, uh, we're not going to go down that route. Alrighty. <laughs> All right. For uh, shout outs and reviews, uh, Harley Wood, uh, he'd. He bought a Santoku and paring knife. He he's for, We first met, uh, not this past year at Blade Show, but the year before, and he really liked uh, the file work and stuff that I did on my knives. And this year he ordered one, and we had been talking a little bit before the show, and he helped pick out the piece of steel he wanted for the Damascus at Alabama Damascus and um, made the knives, and he had a, he's had them, and he did a YouTube video that turned out really nice on uh, – on there on his youtube name is harleywood23 there'll be a a link in the the show notes and his instagram is harleywood.co and uh check him out if you can outstanding um so since i'm getting to be the host i guess i get to introduce the guest don't i yeah, go for it, man. All right. I had the pleasure of meeting Joshua on the first global bushcraft trip. 
where he proved himself to be an incredibly tough individual who was also painfully susceptible to traveler's stomach. Uh, <laughs> did not get a lot of time to, uh, to talk to him on the first half of the trip, but uh, after about day two or three, when we got into the bush, um, he was much more talkative, got to learn a lot about him. Uh, he's an experienced martial artist, uh, was editor of Knives Illustrated for about three years. He's written in the industry for years and years as a successful knife designer, motorcycle enthusiast, all around good guy. How are you doing tonight, right. Joshua? I'm doing good. And by the way, I, I, I hope you're not getting much sleep. You shouldn't be getting any sleep. Call me Schwanwagon. So. Hey, <laughs> so much better than the jack wagon that he headed it out. <laughs> it, it is, it's Swanigan, though, for those that don't know. Hey, well, you know, that's what you get for having one of those weird, hard-to-pronounce northern names. Yeah, I know. That's what I get for being Irish. <laughs> well, if that's the worst thing you get for being Irish, you did pretty good. <laughs> oh, no, I got that fair complexion, too. Oh. Yeah, I get gotcha. I, I get to enjoy burning every year and then going right back to white. Yeah, I had a – my wrestling coach was really, really, really Irish, and he uh, he went from, like, just being out in the sun for coaching for track for – about 30, 45 minutes, he had to make sure he had slathered on the sunscreen or he'd be uh, red as a cherry. Oh, yeah. Match the hair on his head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I get out riding on my motorcycle, I've got some of the spray stuff that I just keep right with me, and I'll spray it on every you know, every hour or two. Cool. Got to do what you got to do. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right, Dan, you want to give this uh, this awesome article some uh some legs that you found? Yeah, so Knives in the News. I was um, – so I had always heard the version about – the original version I heard was an incredibly hardcore Dutch uh, Arctic explorer uh, trapped in the Arctic, uh, had a gangrene leg, uh, was going to die, used his own feces to shape a knife and amputate his own leg. I since found out that that was, he did get frostbite, but he didn't cut his own leg off with a poop knife. He used his own feces to form a chisel. And then once it froze hard, he used that to escape from a ice cave that he'd gotten trapped in. And apparently there is also a story about an Inuit elder who, and that's the, the first article you'll see there. And he supposedly refused to go to the, the winter camp to town. So his children took all of his tools from him. And supposedly he fashioned a knife from his own feces, waited for it to freeze, used that knife to kill a dog, used the hide of the dog and its rib cage to make a sled and walked off into the Arctic wilderness uh, with his one remaining dog and his poop knife. <laughs> um, so scientists have recently tried to recreate this poop knife. And in the article, they used several methods. Um, they tried molding it. They tried forming it by hand. Um, they tried uh, – one guy ate a, a, an Inuit-style diet for eight days to, to make sure that the raw materials that they were working with would be similar to what this 
Inuit was using. <laughs> and they tried a Western diet to see if, if one if one form of poop made a better knife than another. And it turns out they both make equally crappy knives. See, what they needed was they needed somebody just to go on like an all-metamucil diet for a week. That's what they need. High fiber, that way they get that nice tight grain pattern in the poop when it freezes up. Well, they compacted it, um, froze it, and then plunged it in a dry ice bath, uh, got it down to negative 250. And the problem they had was they could get a good edge on it, but when they went to cut, uh, they were using uh, pig hides. pig. Uh, hide, um, connective tissue like tendons and ligaments and muscle fibers that they were trying to cut. And even though the hides were at near freezing and the knife was at, I think, negative 250 degrees, as the edge drew across the skin, because the skin was not freezing and the friction, it would melt the edge and they would just wind up with a poop smeared um, hide. So it turns out that that story is a bunch of poop. Yep. Please tell me you sent that story to Andy, though. Oh, I have not, and I'm going to right now. <laughs> he's, got, he's got to see that story. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm a little embarrassed that I didn't think about it until just now. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Well, at the risk of losing our only sponsor, let's uh, let's move this on to the, the interview. <laughs> So, uh, Joshua, you want to tell us? Uh, oh, handle materials! That is brilliant. You want to tell us tell us some of, some of the uh, the early years and uh, where where did you grow up? Uh, well, I grew up in Denver, Colorado. Uh, I moved out here to Michigan about uh, twenty six years ago, but I, I grew up in Denver. I moved around a lot out there, but uh, grew up you know, backpacking the Rockies and and that kind of stuff. I had an uncle that me and him would just have a buddy drive us up into the Rockies somewhere and we'd say, drop us off here and be back in two weeks, you know, and we just hike in and just stay there. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. It was kind of where I got my, my, uh, wilderness experience was more in uh, Colorado, but, um, I, I do like to camp out here in Michigan. It, it's, it's completely different. The Rockies are so different than, than, uh, the Michigan, uh, the mint, you know, the way things are here in Michigan, it's, um, it's very green here, very dense, uh, with the trees and it's not a mountain. Yeah. No mountains. Yeah. We've got some hills, some nice hills, but yeah, we're, we're, we don't have the, the big mountains and I, I miss that a lot. Although I will say this and this, you know, anybody from Colorado that's listening, don't take this the wrong way, but man, that place is becoming overpopulated and it's becoming way too expensive. My wife and I have discussed moving back there, um, you know, a few for quite a while, we discussed that because all my family and friends are back there, and we go back there all the time. Uh, we're gonna be going back in a couple of weeks. So, you can be honest, you just want the weed, don't you? Yeah, right. Hey, it's here, it's legal here in Michigan now, too. Oh, is it? Yeah, I don't even have to travel, <laughs> I can go anywhere I want. And if Michigan runs but, out, uh, Illinois will have it in uh, at the beginning of January. Yeah, see, there you go. So, it doesn't really matter. But, uh, no, I do love it out there, but you know, we've discussed going moving back out there. But, man, I get out there, and there's just people everywhere. I mean, just everywhere. I was out there a couple of years ago, and my cousin and I were driving down the street, and the streets, just people just pouring out of places. And I was like, wow, is there an event going on? He says, nope, it's just always like this. I said, yep, never coming back. Yeah. <laughs> never wow. moving back here. And yeah, nothing will ruin a good place like people. 
Exactly. You know, and the thing is, I, you know, growing up in Denver, I mean, you'd think that I'd be like this city boy. I, I hate the city. I do. I moved out here. The town I live in right now is like 850 people. I love it. Well, actually, we're technically not even a town. We're a village. Nice. So what's the, do you happen to know what the distinguishing factor of a village in a city is? I think it's just the, the, um, square miles and how many people are in it. Hmm. Gotcha. All right. You know, cause in, in a village is generally inside of a township, Yeah. you know, so like we've got, it's a very rural area here. We have a lot of farms and stuff like that. So we've got the village that's inside the township, but when you expand out into the township, it houses are all pretty far from each other. And it's, you know, a lot of, uh, big yards, houses set way off the, off the road and stuff like that. And again, like I said, a lot of farms, it's not, uh, it's not abnormal to be driving down the road and end up getting stuck behind a combine for a while you know <laughs> it, yeah it is what it is but i love it i love the small town i grew up in southern india southern indiana and um living in the western suburbs of chicago now you don't uh don't hardly ever see any combines so you kind of miss it when you uh when you get away from it right do you happen to remember what your first knife was that you uh you got and how, about how old you were when you got it you know, I was, what was I? I was about eight and my uncle had given me, it was just a little slip joint. I don't know if, I don't know if it was a case or a real case or whatever. I was eight. I don't even remember, but, um, it, it was the coolest knife and boy, I really thought I was something then. And again, like I said, I lived in Denver and at that time we were kind of in a, a fairly bad area, you know, and, and, uh, I was in the alley and, and he had told me, you know, don't ever pull this on anybody or anything like that. Well, it was like the next day. I'm in, I'm in our back, well, I'm in our backyard, which butts right up to an alley and, uh, some local thug kid, couple of few years older than me come start in trouble with me. I got up, I had that knife out quick. I mean, I, I was a kid, you know, my uncle came out, kicked that kid off the property, took the knife from me. He says, man, he says, that was, he says, I'm surprised. I, I really never would have thought you'd be able to get it out that fast. Like I said, it was just a slip joint. But he said, it kind of freaked him out, and he took it from me. He says, you can have it back when you're more responsible. So I don't think I ever really got that one back. But, I mean, over the years, I'd gotten different, uh, like, camping knives and stuff like that that, uh, you know, like, passed down from uncles and stuff. The reality of it is I, I grew up actually very poor, so I didn't really have a lot in the way of, of knives and, and good gear and stuff. I used most of my, my uncle's stuff a lot. and uh, But the knife that I remember the most, and I, I think this is maybe where you're getting um, – Around that same period, maybe a little bit older, but around that that same time, uh, he had one of the Gerber LMFs, the first Gerber LMF. Mm. Man, I loved that knife. It had the the like sponge uh, handle, and uh, that was just the coolest knife. It was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Nice. Yeah, those old Gerbers were really cool. Yeah, yeah, and you just can't get that one anymore. Was that the one that had? It was it was like a metallic sponge, or was it the the no, it was black. It was that black kind of spongy oh, okay. material. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And it was about. it was yeah. like molded to the yeah, it was like molded to the hand. Yeah, beautiful knife. It was so cool. That's a cool one. Yeah. I've tried finding one of those since then. I have not been able to find one anywhere. I've tried eBay, I've tried everywhere. And now you can get the LMF, but it's it's so different. Now it's that like uh I don't even know what that handle material is without looking it up off the top of my head, but it's like that hard rubber. Yeah, yeah. almost like the uh, like tarot, tarot tough or whatever. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's it's yeah, it's just it's such a different feel, you know. That it's like I like it. It's a cool knife, but it just it's not that same old uh, LMF that that he had that you know I fell in love with, you know, as a kid. So from listening to the show, you know that the meeting your wife story is is ranked on the Dan Kyle scale. <laughs> uh, the Dan scale being picked her up at her grandmother's wake. The Kyle st- end of it is. Met her online. Where on the Dan Cal scale does meeting your wife fall, and and how did you meet her? Well, I don't I don't know where it would fall. I guess you guys would have to be the judge of that. But I met her at a bar actually, right after I moved here to Michigan. Yeah, you know, I moved up here to get to know my dad, which uh, that ended up falling apart. But regardless, when I first moved here, you know, I was staying with them in an even smaller town called Otter Lake, and it's about about nine miles from from here where I'm in Otisville where I'm living now I worked third shift just inspecting nuts and bolts for GM and before going to work I mean it wasn't an important job so we'd stop at the bar and do karaoke right (laughs) (laughs) so you can um, admit it now I mean statute of limitations is up you're good it's totally run out yeah this is 26 years ago so what can they say any cars that might have had any problems due to uh, a bolt that wasn't properly inspected is is already in the junkyard by now. But um, but uh, anyway, so we're there, and I'm there with uh, with my father and my stepmom, and my step my stepmom worked with me at that same place. And we're doing karaoke and everything, and they had been kind of on my case. I need to meet a woman. I need to meet a woman. I'm like, you know, no, I don't. You know, just leave me alone about it. It was actually, you know, part of, uh, I had just separated from somebody when I moved out here, I, you know, it was, wasn't really the reason I moved out here. It was a whole other stuff, but so I, I had just separated from her and they're like, well, you got to meet a woman. You got to meet a woman. I'm like, no, I really don't leave me alone about it. Anyways, we're sitting there and I'm not too far from, you know, it's not too much longer before I got to leave and in walks this woman into the room and I tap my dad. I'm like, dad. I said, that's her. And he said, that's who I said, that's the woman I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. He says, well, who is she? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> he says, well, you got to meet her first. I said, you leave that up to me. And so I, I got up. I like Phil Collins. I, I'm, I'm very eclectic. I love all kinds of music. Blues is one of my favorites. I love blues, but I, I like everything. And I really like Phil Collins because I think the guy's an amazing musician. So I get up and I'm doing this Phil Collins song and she, she's in you know, sitting at this table, like right in front of me. And she says, Oh, I love Phil Collins. And I stopped singing. I said, me too. And she's like going, Oh no. And she looks at her friend. She goes, was was that out loud? She goes, yeah, it really was. (laughs) I said, yeah, it really was. So then I'm like, well, I got her now. Now, now I know. So I put up another Phil Collins song and I said, Hey, you know, come sing it with me. You know, she's like, Oh no, I couldn't possibly whatever. And, And I'm like, come on. Yeah, you can. You know, and, and I knew the, lady that ran the karaoke she was a friend of ours and she's like oh come on you'll help me out and i'll help you out it'll be fine you'll you'll do great so sure enough she got up she sang it with me and everybody loved it and i told her i said man that's the best response i've ever gotten up here and and i said we gotta do this again you gotta i gotta leave i gotta go to work but you gotta give me your number and so basically i just surrounded her and got her number in the confusion (laughs) and uh i tilled it out of there before she could realize what she had done and uh you know and the funny thing is you know, she's uh, she grew up middle class, you know, and I I didn't, and I'm the I just moved there, moved here. I had kind of longish hair. I had uh, the the chops. I don't know if you know what kind of the beard I'm talking about, where my just my chin yeah. was shaved. Yeah. But I had like a mustache, and then it came down the cheeks, and I was like Lemmy or something. That's awesome. I had 
Yeah, I had that, you know, but she's she was already night blind at that time. <laughs> I didn't know that. And I had yeah, and I had a black t shirt with skulls on it and they're cut off their sleeves are cut off. I'm wearing camouflage pants because I'm going into work, right? To inspect inspect nuts and bolts. So she's sitting down with her friend. She's like, well, I, I don't even know what he looks like. She goes, well, he's cute, you know. <laughs> she's describing her. Well, he had a skull T-shirt, and she's like, what? And he's like, and he had longish hair, and she's like, what? You know. So, I mean, the funny thing is, is her friend describing me to her wasn't working out so well for me. But um, what ended up happening, it, it was her birthday, like, uh, a couple days later or something like that. And I, I called and, and saying happy birthday to her. And, uh, and she was like, wow, she's pacing back and forth in the house. And so anyways, then we just kind of started hanging out as like as friends and they just built up and we've been together ever since. Nice. Yeah. That's uh that's probably a lot closer to me than you, Dan. What do you think? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the being able to meet the woman of your dreams wearing a skull t-shirt looking like a, a militia reject does bump <laughs> it to the to the midway point. But yeah, we're gonna we have to put that in the Kyle camp. <laughs> uh, so how'd you get in the industry, Joshua? Well, um, it's a bit of a it kind of goes back a ways. Back, uh, I don't know. Do you, do you remember? Do you guys uh, yeah. remember who Ron Hood was? Ron and Karen Hood, survival.com? Yep. Okay. Well, they were friends of mine. And uh, years ago, I was rebuilding their website. And uh, this was back when they were first putting together Survival Quarterly magazine. And uh, there was one night Ron and I were up talking, and he was working on the first issue of the magazine. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, I was just putting some finishing touches on the website and getting ready to launch it for him. And we're talking, and, and he said, man, he said, I'm so slammed right now. There were a couple people didn't turn in articles like, you know, like they said they were going to. They missed deadlines. And he says, man, I got I to gotta get these articles written now. He says, it's kind of up to me. And I said, well, I said, if you want, I mean, I'll, I'll throw something at you. You know, I've always been into writing. I've always liked writing, but I've never, I'd never really done it any, anywhere professionally. Just I always appreciated and enjoyed it. And uh, I told him, I said, I can toss something your way if you want, you know. And he says, oh, you know, I don't want you to have to put yourself out. He says, you know, you're working on the website and everything. But <clears throat> by the time I'd hung up with him, I really only had a couple things left to do for the website. And I was thinking, well, you know what, I'm just going to hammer something out real quick and I'll send it off to him. And uh, I did a, just a quick piece on how to select a good martial arts school, you know, what what types of things to look for. Not necessarily what style, because obviously style is uh, it's subjective to everybody. Everybody's going to be different and what style is going to work for them is going to be different than somebody else. But what things to look for in the school behaviors and, and things like that. And, uh, so I sent it off to him and he, he, uh, he read it and he wrote me back. He said, man, he says, I absolutely love this. He says, this is great. He says, would you be willing? He, he knew my background and, uh, he said, would you be willing to write the urban equivalent? You know, he said each magazine, each issue is going to have a theme that follows their video series. And he said, would you be willing to write the urban equivalent to the, each magazine's theme? I said, absolutely. I'd love to. So for, after, you know, after, uh, after that issue, I started doing that for every issue I would write like, you know, urban shelters or, you know, I mean, just w whatever it was, uh, urban survival kits, things like that, and how to carry in an urban uh, environment without looking like 
you know, some, some carrying around a big backpack or something. How can you carry stuff on you? Didn't you do a good article? Didn't you do an article on urban trapping too? Um, no, actually for that issue, what I did was I did an article on, uh, setting up a, like if you found yourself in a, like a, in an urban environment that you don't know and you, uh, you're on the streets for whatever reason and you find like an abandoned place, how do you set up a security? That's right. Basically a security system in this place with no money. And with nothing, nothing to do it with. And, uh, so I, I did the article on that and it's basically just going in and harvesting any kind of string or twine or whatever you can get your hands on and cans. It's, I mean, it's a pretty simple setup. You can even use sticks. If you can't find string, you can do it with sticks on windowsills and doors and things like that. And then just balance the cans. I mean, but there's really good ways to do it. So, yeah, so I was you know, writing these stories for him. And uh, and then, uh, you know, as ever, as I'm sure, you know, we we lost him, unfortunately, tragically. And uh, but I kept writing for Karen. She kept the, the magazine going. And then I eventually end up just taking over as uh, associate editor for Karen and uh, did all the layouts and uh, did most of the, like the editing and stuff like that for the subsequent issues. And we did that for a couple more years. Uh, and then she ended up getting busy in her life and. I kind of got started getting busy, busier in my life and stuff. But that's sort of how I ended up getting into the industry itself, and then started meeting the people I started that I was meeting, and uh, people were liking liking my writing and stuff like that, and and I uh, just kind of started moving up from there. You know, uh, my first official actual article that I wrote that was published and and uh, really got me into more of the mainstream magazines was uh, an article for um, Tactical Knives, and it was on the combative ATACs. The ATACs, the Tops ATACs, was one of Ron's designs, and it's a really cool knife, and I thought that it had some really neat combative properties to it, uh, and I, so I did an article for Tactical Knives, and uh, he really loved the article and, and uh, assigned me more, and I, you know, I ended up, unfortunately, they ended up closing the doors, but I was able to take my writing elsewhere, and then I started writing for Knives Illustrated, and then obviously, as you know, Dan, I branched off into a lot of the other other magazines, a lot of the other survival magazines, and like SWAT magazine, and been published in Black Belt and different stuff like that. But um, so that was, but that was my start was Survival Quarterly magazine, and I'm still very good, very close friends with Karen, and and uh, you know she's doing well, and but uh, the the magazine hasn't been running a long time, so. Uh, whether or not it ever start up again, I don't know, but you know, that was my that was my start. Great springboard for you. It, yeah, it really was. It really was, and I, I appreciated uh, um, them bringing me on and and letting me write for them and and uh, get my voice out there, you know. And, and like I said, Ron just really loved uh, the articles I was providing, and and Ron, I mean, he he knew urban survival but me and him like i said had had a lot of conversations about my past my youth and uh my upbringing stuff like that and and uh so for him to uh ask me to to fill that that gap in each issue was was pretty cool it meant a lot to me yeah, that's pretty yeah i remember hearing about some of the people in the depression for you dan mentioned urban trapping that would use rat traps and uh nail them to trees and they said yeah. they couldn't take the squirrels out of them quick enough yeah uh, in an urban environment, I thought, or I couldn't, couldn't hardly believe that. That was, was like, yeah, there's a lot of squirrels. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that'd be pretty effective. Squirrels and pigeons are two really outstanding protein sources for the 
urban emergencies. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, so you've done a lot of designing. What's the favorite knife that you have designed and your favorite knife that you have not designed? Well, my favorite knife that I designed, I love the Topps Knives Cut 4.0. Um, I, th I mean, that really – we took a lot of time on that one. We spent, uh, we spent, I'd say, a little over a year just on the handle, just getting that handle right, you know, making sure that it was perfect in the grip, that it was comfortable – um, cause that that's was the one with the really distinctive loop at the butt, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's got the ring. Yeah. Um, you know, that was the mo one of the most important things to me was the interface between the hand and the blade, you know, and, and, uh, that's one of the most important things. And so we really, we, we worked at that one for a while and, uh, they nailed it. They, they really knocked it out of the park as they always do. I mean, they're, they're a great company. <laughs> and, um, as far as, uh, my my favorite knife that I didn't design. Let me see. That's I think what I'm supposed to. My favorite knife is the Dogwood Custom Knives insert knife name. No wait, I mean the uh, a Dogwood Custom Knives. That would be the uh, the Kephart probably. No, I'm just messing with you. No, honestly, um, I, do, I really do love that knife though. I really do love that knife, and nothing I said in that article was bull. But to, to be to be completely honest, the the knife that I found that I always comes with me on every trip ever since I've got it was the, the tops knives hoodlum designed by Ron hood. Yeah. And what happened was, I think there was 25 of them made years ago. And this was before it went to buck knives and Ron contacted me and he said, Hey, I'm going to send you one of these out and I want to know what you think of it. <clears throat> so he had sent me this knife and I was like, man, the, the weight of it, the balance, everything about it was just beautiful. I mean, it was so well designed and to this day, uh, anytime I'm going out into the woods, that knife comes with me. I always have a small bushcraft knife, but I also always have that one strapped to my pack. Um, and it's just, it's, it's just, it's an amazing knife. It really is, you know. And, and uh, to this day, you know, when I think, when he, when uh, I was talking to him, and he says, "I really want to know what you think of it." And you know, to me, I think the fact that I still use it—that's the testimony of what I think of it. I'm still using it, and I've got a lot of knives, as I'm sure you can guess. That's still. You know, that always comes with me. Uh, anytime I, I have a backpack on and I'm going into the woods, that knife is somewhere on that back, on that pack. So uh, I have a lot of people actually tell me, they're like, I can't believe you'd use that knife. That's like the Holy Grail, you know. And But it's like, you know what? Ron would turn over in his grave if I wasn't using that knife, if I put that up somewhere yeah, what, and stopped using it. What's the point of having it if you don't use it? And he, Exactly. He was such a practical man. You got a great point that he'd be furious if you weren't using it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He gave it to me to use it, you know, and, uh, and I, I have consistently, um, if you, if you were to see it, it's, it's got the, the guts of trees all over it. <laughs> it's well loved. <clears throat> well loved. If you, uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing a photo of that, we'd love to post it on the knife perspective Instagram. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you'd send both of those, we'll send, we'll put up the, uh, the four, is it the 4.0? Yeah. The yeah. cut 4.0. And the uh, the hoodlum. Yep. So uh, mm -hmm. back to the the cut 4.0 a little bit. So do you um, use that like kind of kind of like a karambit, or is that mainly just uh, is the the hole mainly back there just like put your pinky through, or well, pinky or index finger, depending on if you're doing like a reverse grip or a forward grip. Um, yeah, actually that was really the the point of the cut 4.0 is that I've 
I've always been a fan of the karambit. I like the karambit. I think it's a it's a cool knife and it, it's a neat uh, you know martial arts blade. Um, but the problem with it is, you know, one of the things I've found with what I do, I've talked to a lot of special forces guys and stuff like that. And, and, uh, when I, when I ask them like, what do you, you know, what, what, give me a story of what you've used your knives for over there and stuff. And almost, I'd say 90, 95 or better percent just say, yeah, just, you know, cutting boxes, you know, just normal daily utility stuff. Opening MRE, cutting, cutting 550 cord. Exactly. I mean, the, the reality of it is there's not as much knife, knife combat going on as i think a lot of people think and myself included for the longest time i was like man these guys they're carrying these you know these hardcore combat knives because they're out there stabbing people in the eye you know it's like whatever but that's not really the case i mean for the most part they're using them just like we use our knives yeah there's so i wanted something what's there's a reason why they give them bullets to carry and not a ton of knives (laughs) exactly that's exactly it so but i wanted to marry the combative uh, feel of a karambit the the way that that grip and that handle feels in your hand when you're using it for that purpose but i also wanted it to have the, just like a normal drop point because i wanted more field utility and that's actually what cut stands for it's the combat utility tool so the the point being that you can use this as a utility knife because that's mostly what you're going to be using it for but in a pinch if it comes down to combatives this is going to be a good knife for that purpose, you know, because it already has that that feel of like a combat knife. So that was kind of what it was, was just sort of marrying those two um, those two styles together to uh, to provide a, a combat knife that could also be used for whatever daily task, you know, somebody wants to use it for. The the ninety nine point nine nine percent of stuff you actually do with a knife. Exactly. So did you guys release uh, a couple of versions before the 4.0 or were those just all prototypes or how'd you come or how'd you end up with the the 4.0 at the end? No, 4.0 is for four inch. Wow. you It's a four inch blade. Uh, (laughs) Why? (laughs) Uh, No, four inches. (laughs) Size matters not. Look at me. Hey man, we don't need more than four inches as long as you know how to use it. <laughs> yeah, That's how you wiggle your worm, Dan. Right. It's been so long since I've been fishing, I wouldn't know. Uh, <laughs> you can So, knife design. Seriously, I'll, I'll send you all my Joshua money. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what are, are in respect to some of the knife design? What are uh, some of your the biggest influence? You mentioned some of the, the talking to special forces people. Are there any other design or designers that uh, have helped influence some of your your thoughts on different styles? Um, well, you know that's <clears throat> that's a, a hard question because there yeah there's a lot of really great designers out there that that uh, always, anytime I look at their work, it's like, man, that is so cool. But for my own designs, really, for me, it's more use. You know, I'm just thinking about how it's going to fit whatever the intended use that I'm, I'm looking for. And that's sort of my design process is like, what what do I need it to do? And why do I need it to do it? 
and how is it going to fit my hand better, you know, the best. Now, I, I mean, I, I realize obviously I'm making it for a lot of people, but ultimately I have to start with myself. So it's like, how is this going to best fit my hand? And I've, I've got pretty average size hands, you know, um, so even designing for myself usually works out pretty well that I'm not going to get uh, too far askew from the rest of the knife using community. Um, but I mean, yeah, you know, there's, there's so many, I, I think if I were to start naming people, I think I would, I'd end up going on for like probably way too long because <laughs> there's just so many great makers out there. There really are. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, and I, I know this is your show, but then this isn't pandering, but really I've always loved, uh, Dan's work. Uh, you know, I've, um, there's, you know, his echo five. I take that a lot when it comes to the, my smaller bushcraft knife that I, that, like I said, I always take the, the, uh, the hoodlum, but I always have a, a smaller bushcraft knife. The echo five I've noticed tends to make it on my belt, uh, probably more often than not. Um, but you know, and then you got, you know, Jason Knight and Peter Kohler and Claudio Sabral. And I mean, you know, I could go on and on and on. I mean, there's just so many great makers out there. And I already, I know right now there's probably some guys that are going like, wow, why not me? But the reality of it is I, I wish I could name everybody, but they're just. The plus and the curse of doing what you've been doing for so long is you've gotten to use so many different knives from so many different makers. Um, it'd be like a, a curator of a museum trying to pick a favorite artist. There's, you've had so much exposure that it's it's hard to pick just one. That's that's exactly it. It really is too. Yeah. Of course, when he was on the spot, he did mention me. Just, yeah. Well, <laughs> and like I said, you know, like I said, I, I'm, I'm I'm not pandering. I'm, I'm I was basing I was basing that off of uh, you know I mean, I, I guess for me, part of what what I think about when people ask me like, who's your favorite maker? One of the things that I have to take into consideration is in reality, when, when I'm not answering that question or when I'm not trying to show somebody like what one, one of my favorite knives is whatever, when it's just me and I'm getting ready to go out and I'm going to grab a knife, what knives do I typically grab the most? You know, I mean, what, what is it just when I'm not even thinking about it, it's like, Hey, I need this kind of knife. I reach into one of my drawers or whatever. And I grab a knife. What tep what typically is, you know, the knives that I just grab instinctively, you know, and, and like I said, really the echo five, it gets a lot of use for me. I mean, that's one of my bushcraft knives that I go to a lot. Although I will say that Kephart's probably going to start making it on my belt a little more often. <clears throat> I really did like that knife a lot. Well, and starting with the, the trip to the Amazon, you were there for the, the early development, and you're probably not aware of how influential you were in the design of that Echo 5. Um, really? Yeah. Sweet. I mean, it was early prototyping when we took the trip to the jungle together. Yep. And then the back and forth talking to you afterwards, yeah, you you were pretty influential in that design. Very cool. Well, maybe that's why it uh, it fits me so well. I mean, it, you know, because I mean, if it, it does. It just fits me really well. The the grip, everything. And when I when I go to grab a, a knife for bushcraft, if I'm heading out in the woods, I really do tend to go to that one a lot. No, it's because I listen to you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, on this one thing, I've, mm -hmm. I have rarely listen to anything else. But on yeah. this one thing, there's a there's a first time for everything. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, nobody's exactly. Can't listen to my last name to I save his life, but when we talk knives, boy, he picks it all up. Priorities, man. <laughs> There's only so many cells that are left. Right. <laughs> I can't be wasting space on names. I got to save that for knives. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> nice. So, what was your time like um, as editor at Knives Illustrated? How would you describe that? <clears throat> well. I think maybe I should preface this, though, by uh, maybe <clears throat> making the announcement. I haven't actually officially even made this announcement oh. yet. <laughs> Sorry. That I'm, uh, no, 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 it's it's fine. Actually, I, I was waiting for the right time and was working on something else before I wanted to announce it. But, yeah, I, so for those who don't know, I, I have recently resigned as the editor of Knives Illustrated uh, just due to creative differences. So, it, you know, it's, it's all good. I wish him no ill will. I hope uh, nothing but the best for him. I will say it's a little bittersweet because I really loved my time as the editor over there. Uh, I loved everything I did. I loved the relationships. I loved the people I worked with, um, you know, and, and definitely all the, the different people throughout the industry. Um, I've had a lot of really great relationships that I'll take with me for a very long time. You know, I mean, they're all still close friends and, and uh, everything is still good there. But uh, I, I really, really enjoyed it a lot. You know, um, I, I, there were times where it got a little tedious uh, just for budgetary reasons. I did like all the cover photography. I did uh, a lot of the writing just to um, bring us in on budget and make sure that uh, I could still keep our what I was paying our contributors uh, at a, at a higher level, you know, um, that was something I worked at very hard when I first got there. Cause when I first got there, we weren't really paying much. And, uh, it, it, yeah. it was struggling a little bit as a magazine. Um, and then, so we, we, I worked with Doug Jeffrey and, and, uh, and our design team, and we really did a lot of stuff to revamp the, the magazine itself. And, and it started doing, it was doing really good. And I was able to boost the budget a little bit. And uh, I took a hundred percent of the budget increase that we got, and I pushed it right out to the contributors and doubled what they're what they were getting paid per per article and By doing that, I felt I was able to bring on some of really the industry's absolute best writers i mean you know i i I worked hard to to identify and to i guess court some of these just amazing writers <clears throat> brought them on staff and uh I think I, I attribute a lot of the success of Knives Illustrated over the past few years to the writers that uh, that have, that wrote for me and, and worked with me. And, and uh, there were a couple guys, you know, that, that trusted me at the beginning when we weren't making much that uh, that stuck in there with me. And, and I told them, uh, you know, Tim Stetzer, he was one of them, great writer, and but Knives Illustrated just wasn't paying much. And I took over and I talked to him, and he said, "Yeah, he says, you know, I gotta, I gotta take these the the higher paying gigs. You know, I've got a family." And I said, "I totally get that." I said, "But if you'll just stick with me, just trust me. I'm doing everything I can to boost this budget." And he did. He stuck right with me, kept writing for me. I boosted the budget, and it's been great ever since. And then, I like I said, I started bringing on, uh, you know, other other world-class writers are just top of their game and and uh i think we really did a good job with it well, you know taking care of your people certainly paid off i mean i think so. i think so you know i mean you have to you have to take care of the people that you're working with you know they they, they say that people don't quit a job people quit a boss and i believe that 
you know, I believe that wholeheartedly. And I, so I, I tried doing everything I could to, to take the best care of them that I, that I could at all times and, and make sure that they were happy and, you know, getting their payments when they should get their payments and that the, all of their, the layouts and the articles all looked good. And when I edited stories, uh, I, I tried really hard to leave their voice alone. You know, I, I would correct the grammar and rewrite some sentences if they just didn't read well. But for the most part, I left their voice intact because every writer has a way that they that they write. And I think that that's a very important thing, because if everything all sounded like me, well, then what's the point of having other writers? You know, every some people may not like my writing style, but they may like somebody else's writing style. So, you know, I have to make sure that I leave those voices intact and just make sure that the grammar and all that's all on point. And, uh, you know, that all the, the facts, what they're saying in their articles is all solid and on point and, uh, and that kind of thing. Cause that's, that's one of the things with print, you make a mistake yeah. in print, you can't go back. You gotta, you gotta keep moving forward. You can print something later or retraction if it's that bad, which fortunately we really haven't had anything that bad. Um, there's been a couple kerfuffles, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> things happen you know uh, yeah. i think one of the one of the most notable um oh man a, a really good friend of mine ruben boyer he's been writing for me for years oh, he's good people he's really good people he's 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 a good friend he's a great guy and he did he's, patrick he's still a, what's that i was gonna ask he's still say he's still a seaman isn't he i believe so yeah yep yeah but uh he Patrick Rollins over at Essie Knives and Randall Adventure Training had designed a knife. He got he finally he got his first knife with with Essie and and uh, and Ruben wanted to write it up and I'm like oh yeah do that thing. Well he wrote it and then I had to do uh, there wasn't really anything for like a conclusion to wrap it up so I just kind of wrote just a quick con conclusion and called Patrick uh. Robert. <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, Ruben was not very happy at all. I felt, I, oh, I felt terrible. That was, <laughs> I mean, I really, I messed that one up. I felt horrible, but uh, to this day, I still call Patrick Robert. <laughs> I do just to, just to mess with them. I love them. I mean, they're great guys over there. They're they really are. I love those guys, and uh, you know, we we mess with each other. But you know, it's. It's all it's it's worked itself out now, but that was that one was pretty bad, and that was one hundred percent on me, you know. And and one of Ruben's things was like, "This is one of my best friends," and now everybody's gonna think I don't even know his name, you know. I'm like, well, right, I'm sorry, man. But you know, I was well, I was I was up against a hard deadline, and I had like four stories I had to get done that night, and I was working on, I was kind of bouncing between some of them because I had to do. You know, like certain research on some different stuff and I just do certain things all together. And, and, uh, one of them had, there was a guy named Robert in the thing I was researching. And then when I wrote his conclusion, Robert stuck in my head for some reason. And it was like, yeah, yeah that I'd Patrick should have been a Robert. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, if there was See, you ever a Patrick that was really a Robert, it was him. <laughs> um, yeah the the se people are good are, that's fine are really good people um, i can't imagine i mean oh yeah i certainly could see where they would be irritated but i also can't imagine that they're the kind of people to hold a grudge on something like that no no and he oh, laughs funny, about man. it he does you know but i mean obviously 
Yeah, but it but it is a bummer. I mean, you you get your first article, your first, you know, you're finally covered in a in a big magazine and get your name wrong. I can see that would be that would you know, be very disappointing. You know, I, I I felt horrible and I I really apologized to them for so long after that. I mean, I I still apologize every once in a while because it's just like I can't believe I did that. And I know Patrick too; he's a good friend of mine too. And I was like, I still can't believe I did that. You know, that was like, you know, that was you know, just ridiculous I, I, is what it was. I'm starting to feel like I should feel bad about getting your, your name wrong the other day. I, I, but almost like I keep going yeah, on about I, this I for a reason. Like no, are, you, are, are you trying to tell me something, Joshua? I'm not. No, I'm not that sophisticated. <laughs> nice. So when you were the editor there, was there if there was a up and coming maker that was wanting to try to get published or catch your eye, was there anything they could do to get uh, to kind of get their their name out there a little bit more to get noticed by some of well, these bigger you know, magazines? Or that, what were you looking for? Well, you know, that's a, a very hard thing, and I and I don't say this to discourage any anybody because absolutely do everything you can, keep putting it out there. But I'm saying this actually to keep you from getting discouraged because the reality of it is, you know, with, with Knives Illustrated, we had 82 pages, and you know when you've got 82 pages, but literally thousands of knives coming out a year, it's very hard to determine what's gonna what's going to make it in there, what's not, you know, I mean, it's, that's a very, you know, that's, that's one of the hard parts of being an editor is picking the right knife, picking the right content, like what's going to be in there. So my we're, best, we're all friends here. You can just go ahead and be that? honest. Money and women, alcohol, <laughs> cash payments. No, no. I mean, just, just go to the heart of the matter for me. That, <laughs> no, that was just you. I was going to put you in there anyways, but <laughs> uh, well played, get all that out well of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but really, uh, I need I need to start playing hardball when uh, when he was talking to me about the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, the reality of it is, you know, keep keep contacting editors anytime you get something new. Um, you know, get good photography. That's really going to be a, a big big factor. Get really good photography and get it in front of editors. You know, and and when you do that. Send them all the specs, everything, you know, um, the the MSRP, where to get the knife, you know, all these kind of things. And pick your best work because you have to keep in mind, editors, we're looking through so many knives that it's like, you know, how do you, how do you decide? You know, I mean, I'm looking for fit and finish because you have to – another thing you also have to keep in mind when it's a custom maker or, you know, an up-and-coming maker that's just sending me a picture, I have no idea how well that knife's going to perform. For all I know, you you went and, and, and hammered out some iron, you know, and made it look really, really good. But if I were to get it – if I were to tell my readers, hey, you got to check this knife out, it's awesome, and then they get it, and then they go to try and cut into some butter and end up doling their knife, you know, because it wasn't made out of good material or you – didn't even heat treat it because maybe you're not at that stage in your development. I don't know. You know, uh, so I look for things like fit and finish. And that's another reason for telling me what's the steel. Maybe if you, you know, let, let the, let an editor know what's the hardness, you know, um, that just so that they can, they can get an idea of what it is that, that you're trying to, uh, trying to have published. 
Another thing is going to guys like uh, Sharp by Coop, you know, and, and getting your stuff photographed by him. Because in each issue of Knives Illustrated, I had the the uh, the custom section. And what I would do for that, I would go to Jim Cooper's uh, Sharp by Coop's website. He had a, um, a, a photo dump for editors. And I would go through and I would have like a category, like a theme, like let's say Bowie Knives. And I would look through all of his latest pictures of Bowie Knives. And I found some really great makers in there that's like, wow, that's some really cool work, you know, and, and I'm definitely going to put that in there. And uh, so that's another good way to, to get recognized. Plus, uh, Coop there, he, he does when he does photography, he posts it on his Facebook and uh, in his Instagram, and that gets the attention of editors. So, you know, get, uh, going to somebody like him like uh, or, or Caleb Royer or, you know, any of these guys and getting that photography done. That's going to be a huge help. That'll get that'll get your work out in front of editors. But really, like some of the biggest things, like I said, is just when you send the photography, make sure it's good photography, uh, and and make sure your fit and finish are tight. Make sure everything is looking good, looking sharp, you know, looking clean, and uh, you know those kind of things. Because there have been times I've had somebody send me a picture of a knife. It's like, wow, that is that is really cool stuff. I'd like to know more about this guy, you know, and I'd research him and then I'd end up, you know, at the very least putting him, uh, you know, I had the column in the back uh, that was rising talent. And I'm actually going to be doing the same thing on my, on my website, you know, and it's on the edge and it's just, it's exactly what we're talking about here is, is different uh, up and coming knife makers that just do excellent work, but just have that hard time of, you know, of just reaching that, that summit you know just getting over that crest that can be a tough position to be in because i'm as i'm sure both of you guys know when you're working you're not advertising when you're advertising you're not working you know yeah. and it, that's it, why nice have such crappy websites yeah it's it's a it's a it's a hard line to toe you know and uh so i that was why i would try and try and do that keep a good uh keep good instagram presence you know and and use hashtags a lot of the guys i've found for um uh, rising talent in the back of knives illustrated i would find on instagram i would just go type in a hashtag what you know whatever i'm feeling or you know each issue would have a theme maybe i'd do like whatever the theme is like let's say it was you know survival or bushcraft i just go type in you know hashtag bushcraft knife and i just start scrolling through and then when i'd see somebody i'm seeing consistent postings from them and all their work it looks really good and i'm seeing good you know, responses from their followers and stuff like that. And then I, you know, go a little deeper and go into their Instagram and feed and I'd start looking through their, their work. And it's like, wow, this is some amazing stuff, you know? And I, then I'd contact them and say, Hey, I'd love to feature you. And, uh, you know, and then usually for that, for that one, it's even easier for, it's easy for them because they don't have to send me anything, cost them nothing, you know? And, uh, that makes it a lot easier for some of the smaller new makers as well, because as you guys know, making a knife can be expensive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is just tell them, look, I'm just going to send you a list of questions, answer them as completely as you can and send me 10, 10, you know, high quality photos of your best work. That's all you got to do. I take it from there, you know, and, and it costs them nothing, gets them a little bit of exposure and, uh, you know, it gets them on their way, uh, hopefully, you know, ideally. And that was actually a column I pitched, back when bethany miller was the editor so that one's been my my column from the beginning i pitched that one years ago and been doing it ever since yeah, and if i remember correctly that's the first you were 
gives a lovely piece of symmetry, but you were the first person to write about me. Well, cool. Um, and I think, I think it was the up and coming after the, after the bushcraft trip. It was, I do remember that one. But so pretty much if you're not, if you don't have some photography skill, it's worth a little money. Maybe find a local photographer to shoot. And it, it really is. Photography can really be key in these kind of situations. Cause if you just like set a knife down and then just take a picture of it, it doesn't jump off. It doesn't jump off the screen. Whereas like, let's say you did that and then somebody else got some really like just stellar photography that just made you go, wow, that's cool stuff. The knives may be, may even be identical, but the editor is going to go for the nice photography, not only because he can really get a good feel for, for the knife itself, you know, and it really makes the knife look good, but also because in print space, print space is money, you know, and you, photography is, that's what gets people to stop and read an article. You know, the, the writing is important, but the photography is what makes people even pay attention or stop for a second to read the writing. If the photography's not on, nobody's going to bother with that article. That's a good point. I can take a picture of a knife, and you can go, all right, that's a knife, and it looks good. Uh, my youngest son, who has taken some photography classes, will take a picture of the same knife, but the lighting and everything will be right. The camera settings are right, and you'll pick up the little details of grain. That that glare that blurred the grind, grind line a little bit is gone. Yep. And it's the exact same knife shot from the exact same angle, but because he really knows how to compose the picture, it looks, it's eye catching. Yeah. And that's why I don't do any of my own photography anymore. <laughs> but that's exactly it though. I mean, you nailed it right on the head. That is, that is it in a nutshell. When they send the pictures, the more information, not only for information, but to demonstrate they know what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not only that, but you know, when, and, and I hate to say this, but actually maybe this is a good lesson for, for anybody listening with sharp by coop. A lot of the times, you know, I, I be in a pinch. I got to get this done. I've got other articles. I have to write other articles. I have to edit. So when I'm going through, if I like find a knife that like, man, that's stellar, but there's no info on it. I'd have to pass it up. And there's been a few times that, I mean, that's kind of broke my heart. It's like, man, that is such a gorgeous knife. I really want that in there, but I just don't have the time to chase this information down, yeah. you know, and, and that's, and there's been a lot of really great knives by a lot of really great makers that didn't make it in there because they didn't fill out the forms completely that, that, uh, Coop gave them, yeah. um, you know, to, to, get this information out there. And it's a shame. It really is. As a general rule, anything you can do to make the writer's job easier will help you get coverage. Yes, absolutely. And then it goes doubly for the editor because a writer has one story. Yeah. An editor has all of them. Um, so yeah, they, if you want to get stuff in front of an editor and you want them to, to have any, to consider it seriously at all, give as much info as you can. And give as many photos. I mean, even get right down into the details. If you can get if you can get some good photography, getting down into the details of the knife and stuff, really show that your fit and finish is tight. Because you have to keep in mind, we're paying for print space, and we're telling people you should check this knife out and you should check this maker out. 
you know, we like to know that if we're given that kind of a recommendation, you know, it, yeah, it's not going to, it's not going to fall flat on us, you know, or make us look bad. Yeah. Let me see that there's no glue lines. Let me see that, that you yeah. get good symmetry. Yep. No gapping, uh, you know, none of that. And if you, if you forge, you know, that you don't have any D lambs or anything weird going on in your steel. I mean, just, yeah, stuff like that. I mean, there's, that's all, that's all really important. And we need to know that, that it's your stuff is tight. If we're going to, if we're going to be able to, to promote it. What were some of your great moments as a, as the editor of Knives Illustrated? Like the, when you looked around and said, I can't believe I'm here. The first issue, that first issue, that was probably, I think, one of the best moments for me. I, I think, uh, I mean, every day after that was, you know, I always felt that. I mean, I, I was always very humbled uh, for the opportunity to be the editor of Knives Illustrated. I mean, that's that magazine goes back so far. I mean, I remember reading it years ago and always thinking to myself, man, how cool would it be to be one of these guys? that's, you know, that's writing these stories. I mean, this would be the coolest thing ever. I'd always stop at the newsstand and check and see if the latest issue is out, you know, and if it was, boy, I'd be picking one up, you know, and I always thought to myself, man, that would just be the, that would be like the, I'm here, you know, being one of these guys. So then, uh, yeah, actually getting, you know, taking over as editor and, uh, and then working with these people, it was very humbling. And it was, uh, it was a very, very neat experience. And yeah, when I got that first issue in my hand and I opened it up and looked at the masthead and there was my name, I was like, wow, you know, how awesome is that? I mean, I remember years ago, always just looking at this magazine and thinking, you know, wow, but now I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm a part of it. I get to be a part of this thing, you know, and uh, that was just huge to me. That was your, I made it moment. Yeah, it really was. It really was. And then, like I said, I mean, I, I really, I poured my heart and soul into that magazine. You know, that, that, that magazine meant a lot to me and over the years and, and every day I, I felt that way about it every single day, you know, and I always, every time the new issue would come out, it would stay on my desk pretty much until the next issue came out, just in case I want to re- reference something in there or whatever, as I'm working on another, you know, the next issue, it's like, well, how did we, style that like sometimes we do style changes here and there little tweaks and you know i want to remember how i how i do it you know but but also just you know because i like looking at it and saying you know what that's my product i mean you know i'm i'm doing this and, and people are reading it people are appreciating this and, and appreciating the time and effort that myself and and these writers and and uh you know our our managing editor and and our art director and and everybody's putting into this you know and uh, I mean, that's it's a neat feeling knowing that that people appreciate your work, you know. Yeah, and your passion, your passion's one of the many things that came through. I mean, you, I've I've talked to guys that writing is a job. You are one of the guys where it's a passion, right? And the subject matter isn't you got to knock out a certain number of words. It's something you you intimately know and love. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad to know that that came through because th- that is absolutely true. I, I've always been pe- very passionate about it. And, you know, and the funny thing is I've always been into knives. I've always loved knives. And uh, uh, a few months ago, I'd say actually shortly before I resigned, and this is sort of ironic and, and sort of sad a little bit, but I was back in, in uh, Colorado. And I was at my brother's house and my mom was over and I was working on uh, that issue because I had a couple of things I needed to do to finish up to, to get to the um, 
get to the printer. And my mom, she was like, you know, this is so cool. She says, you've always been a knife guy. And now look at you. You know, she says, here you are. It's all paid off. You're doing it. And I'm like, that is, you know, that, that was really cool. You know, it was like just knowing that my whole life I've been into knives. I've always loved knives. And now I'm like, I'm a part of it. I'm a part of something bigger. You know, I'm I'm actually a part of the community that I've always loved, you know, but I was never, you know, never really a part of other than just the normal knife user, you know. So becoming a part of that and actually becoming like a a, a member, you know, was uh, that meant a lot to me. All right, the, that that had some feels. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. be a little sweet baby Jesus and take him. <laughs> Very cool. That, that, yeah, that that was a little more than I was prepared for. <laughs> <laughs> All right, social. I'm kidding. <laughs> What's some advice you'd give to somebody that wants to possibly start pursuing a career in uh, writing or reviewing for a publication? Give up, go home, let your parents worry about it. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> um, oh, it's like being a nightmare. <laughs> actually, you know, uh, some of the best things I could, could really recommend would be, see that, I mean, that real, that one's a tough one because it, it's so hard to, to get noticed. I mean, it's, like I said, I, I sort of dumbed my way into it. I, I fell into it. I, I was, you know, very blessed to have been friends with Ron and Karen and, and they were very pivotal in in my my boost in getting there. And Mike Fuller over at, at Tops Knives, he really helped uh, introduce me to, to some of the right people and get me in some of the right in front of some of the right people. But um, you know, my best recommendation is is uh, start small. You know, find some of the uh, the, the the smaller um, outlets and and do some writing for them, and then start pitching. Uh, start pitching article ideas to editors. Uh, make sure that you that you look at their magazine, read their magazine, see what kind of things they like to what they like to, to publish. Um, see what kind of style they're using as far as the writing, the photography, those kind of things. Um, and then just you know pitch and make sure you've got some stuff out there. And when you pitch an article, uh, make sure that you you do about a paragraph. You don't want to do too much, but about a paragraph explaining what the article is going to be about what the knife is, um, you know, details about the knife and, uh, you know, what, what you're intended, uh, what you plan to do with the knife as, as your review. Um, and then just sort of a, a short introduction of who you are and uh, a link to, or links to some of your work so that they can go out and, and read some of the stuff that you've done and uh, get a feel for you and see if you're going to be a fit. Uh, but I think one of the biggest pieces pieces of advice I really have is is uh, be patient. Um, editors get a lot of a lot of pitches, and a lot of editors' writing stables are already are already pretty full. Uh, as I mentioned, Knives Illustrated was 82 pages, and uh, even just with the, the regular writers that I had, I couldn't keep them all uh, writing for every issue. You know, certain certain writers would write for certain issues and 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 so on and so forth. You know, there were ones that were regulars that were used for columns and stuff like that. But uh, as far as um, the actual articles themselves, a lot of times just it depended on um, what knife they had in their possession and would it fit 
this issue because in each issue there were uh, certain categories and I would try and fill each category because again you got to have something for everybody not everybody wants a bushcraft knife so even in the bushcraft issue you still have to have tactical knives EDC knives you know these kind of things that way that the people who never even get out in the woods couldn't care less they're still getting something what they want you know so um like let's say i've got two guys that each had an edc knife uh that they wanted to write up it's like well i'll tell you what that one kind of fits what we're doing here we'll put this one in this issue and we'll put yours over in that issue well i've just taken two spots and two issues so when somebody sends a pitch to me and they're like, hey, I'd like to do, I've got this really cool EDC knife. It's like, well, you know what? I'm already booked up for the next couple issues, you know, and that's, we're talking four months in advance, uh, you know, before I'll even be able to start thinking about what I want to do later. Because you don't want to book too far in advance because if somebody launches another knife, it's like, you know what? I might want to get right in on that. Uh, so sometimes you got to, you know, be careful with how far in advance you're, you're booking uh a story because sometimes you want to make sure you have space available for any, any uh, development that, or new knife that, that should be covered. Um, you know, and you want to make sure you got that space. So just patience, patience is the key and don't take it personally. If you don't hear back from them, don't take it personally. If they say no, not at this time, because again, you know, they get a lot of queries and it doesn't necessarily mean they didn't like your work. Maybe they just don't have space for that particular article or that particular pitch. Keep trying. Unless they say, yeah, we're just not interested at all. Maybe move on. Try a different editor, a different magazine. But uh, patience, 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 and perseverance. Thanks. So about how long were you – did you kind of like lock the issue before – like how long is it from when you tell the printer to print before it kind of ends up on the the magazine shelves at a store? Is that like – a month? It's about a month. Okay. Yeah, it's around. Yeah, it's around a month. So basically, the the entire production cycle of of a given issue is in the neighborhood of about two months. Okay. What what happens is we get all the articles, we get all the photography. I go through, I organize everything. Uh, you know, I clean up all the articles, I edit them, I clean up all the photography, make sure everything's solid. If if there's any issues, I'd, I'd go back to the contributor and say, hey, you know what, we were getting a bit of a a glare on the blade or something, you know, in this shot, can you retake this shot? Or, uh, you know, like, um, this, like this is way overexposed. We're going to need something different or the, the background's just not, you know, captivating. Can you do something with maybe a little different background or different setting or something like that? You know, and then they, they would go back and, and retake certain shots. I'd get those back. And then, um, I pass everything off to the managing editor and what her job, what the managing editor is. And uh, sometimes they're called associate editor, managing editor, that kind of thing. They're sort of the liaison, the go between, between the editor and the creative staff. And what they do is then they collect everything up and they prepare it for, um, the art director to then go in and do all the layouts and everything like that. And then once the art, direct, art director is done with the layouts, the managing editor would create a PDF that then she she sent to me. And then I would go through the entire PDF and I'd mark up any spots like, you know, maybe I missed this punctuation or we missed some spelling stuff here. or You know, I don't like this color over here. Let's do a different color for this header or, you know, those kind of things. Or let's make this image bigger. Let's swap this one out for this other image and do some layout tweaks until we get it really just nailed down and it's, you know, everything looks good. The layout looks good. Everything reads good. 
and then everything goes into soft proof. And then once it's in soft proof, we log into the system there, go back through everything again, make a, a list of anything we missed, which we try and keep that to a minimum because once it's in soft proof, that it gets a little bit harder to make those changes. It's a little harder on the, the print side. But then uh, once all the soft proofs are all approved, then it goes to print and then it takes about a month and then it starts hitting news or uh, um, starts hitting the, the mailboxes. And then usually about a week or two after that, I can't remember exactly how long it is, but about a week or two after that, it hits the newsstands. Okay. So you've been a designer, you've been an editor. What's next? Well, right now, actually, I'm, I've got uh, my own website that just launched. And so I'm sticking with the editing and the writing and the designing. Um, <laughs> so you're going to do it all. Yeah. Well, you know, most people don't realize this, but actually, uh, being the editor of Knives Illustrated, that was my second job. Oh. I, uh, I have a day job. I'm a web developer for a, a global interactive, uh, or, a, a marketing firm. And, uh, like my main client is Ford. Okay. So I've been developing websites for 20 something years. So I decided once I left Knives Illustrated, it's like, well, you know what? I'm not just going to go away. I mean, I still love this industry. I got to do something. And I'm still writing for, for different magazines. I've got an article coming out with uh, Survivor's Edge, and I've got another one that's going to be coming out with American Survival Guide. I've got something scheduled for Just After Shot Show for uh, Ballistic. Uh, I've got a couple knives right here I'm going to be doing for Personal Defense World. So I'm still writing. I'm still doing all that because I still love to write. Uh, but uh, a lot of the things I was that I was doing with Knives Illustrated and, and really love to do with Knives Illustrated, I've basically just kind of trans, uh, transferred over to my new site. It's uh, Knife and Gear Society, and uh, the uh, the address is knifeandgearsociety.com, or if you don't feel like typing that much, it's just knife-gear.com. Either one works, whichever is easier to remember, whichever is easier to type. So that's pretty much kind of where I'm at right now is I've been uh, working feverishly to get that thing up and launched. and uh, I'm I'm pretty happy with it now. There's still some things I need to tweak here and there, but it's uh, it's good enough to be live at this point. Most of the stuff that I I want to tweak, most people wouldn't even notice. So I'm okay with that. <laughs> and we've uh, we recorded this. Uh, this is pre-recorded because nobody trusts me with a live show. Yep. <laughs> so as you hear Joshua talking about, there's a couple of things that he needs to work on. By the time you hear this, it's live, so you can go ahead and go over and check it out now. Yeah. I love your logo. Um, Thank you. What's the significance of the hand? The hand, the, the point of the hand is that, uh, and this actually goes back to when I first took over as editor of Knives Illustrated. The point of the hand is that we're hands-on professionals. Everything we do is hands-on. We don't do out-of-the-box reviews. If we review a knife, we used the knife. Um, and, uh, that, like I said, kind of goes back to when I first started with Knives Illustrated. When I first started with Knives Illustrated, I was noticing there was a lot of, uh, out of the box reviews. And for me, I'm, I'm the kind that if you're going to tell me how great a, a knife held up or how comfortable it was or whatever, but then you're going to show me a picture of a brand new knife, I'm going to be a little apprehensive about, uh, the information I'm receiving. So when I first took over as knife, as editor, um, I was getting a lot of those kind of reviews and I started going back to the writers and saying, Hey, you know what? Uh, can you get out there and get some shots of that knife being used for me? I ended up, I lost a couple writers that way and it's too bad. It was unfortunate, but you know, I mean, it, uh, it was what it was. You know, I, I, I had a vision for what I wanted to, to do with it and what I wanted it to be and look like. And, and that was hands-on reviews. I wanted, uh, if you're going to tell somebody something, 
show them that you know what you're talking about. Show them that you used it. You actually did something with it. You didn't just pull it out of a box, handle it a couple of times and say, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a great knife. You actually took it out, used it for whatever it was intended to be used for. So that's kind of the significance of the hand here is that we're hands-on professionals. That's what we do. We get our hands on things. Outstanding. I, uh, I, so because it's our show, Kyle and I got to, uh, to play on the website a little bit already. And cool. I really appreciate how easy it is to navigate. Awesome. Like, um, you know, some of the, some of the knife websites and that sort of thing, you have to kind of be, you gotta be in the industry to figure out what is what. And I like how straightforward right. your layout is. Awesome. Thank you. That's what I was shooting for. I was trying, I, I was wanted to be as easy as possible uh, for people, but I wanted there to be all kinds of different kinds of information on there. And, and uh, so, yeah, everything was sort of segmented out into different categories and all the little boxes on the homepage are all the, the are different categories. So as, you know, they change. So I've got like knife tests, gear tests, you know, and uh, knives in the news and um, product releases, the product launches and things like that. So, uh, you know, knife skills. And then I, like I said, I, I still have uh, on the edge, um, where I'm going to be featuring again, sticking with, uh, up and coming makers who just need that little extra push. You know, I, I, I'm very passionate about that. I, I have been for many years and I'm, I'm going to stick with it. Um, obviously I don't have the, the weight of the knives illustrated name behind me anymore, but I'm hoping that this website will, will take off and do good things. And that I can do the same thing I did with, with it, that I did with knives illustrated and, and, uh, and really, you know, get, help a lot of people out with this, you know? So if you're an up and coming maker and you honestly believe you're ready to, to make a move, good professional quality photos, uh, an in-depth description of the knife and the process and send that to you or are you going to? Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear from anybody that, uh, that would like to be featured. Yeah. That's that's what I'm here for. That's what I that's what I built this website for, uh, is to you know tell people about production knives that that uh, may be of interest to them, custom knives that may be of interest to them, and to help out some of the the up and coming makers that you know just need that extra hand. I've, you know, I have certainly appreciated the support. Not, I mean, certainly for myself, but that you've given the industry. And you've given some guys voices that wouldn't have had it anywhere else. Well, I'm, I'm very glad to, you know, I'm glad to hear that. I am, you know, sometimes, sometimes that is one of the hard things about being a writer and an editor is, is you don't always really know the impact. You just do it, you send it out and you hope for the best, you know, and, and uh, I, I'm sure as you guys know, most people really don't um, compliment things. They only complain. <laughs> so I've always just, I've always just uh, figured and hoped that I would, that maybe by not hearing constant complaints, I was doing something right. You know, I mean, I had to use that as my gauge. No complaints this week. I must be doing something right. Yeah. <laughs> On a personal note, I, I certainly appreciated all that you've done for me. Awesome. And you mentioned Ruben, but one of the things that I noticed both you and Ruben do that I really appreciate as a maker is it'll be six or eight months from the time I send you something until I either get feedback or y'all do something with it. Yeah. And I've all, cause I know when I sent the knife and if a review comes out quickly, I know that reviewer didn't really spend time with it. Right. 
But when it's six or eight months and the pictures that they're using, there's patina and there's wear and there's scratches, mm-hmm. then I know that, yeah, those guys actually took it to the field. They actually did something with it. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, that is frustratingly rare nowadays. Nowadays, it seems to be more about churning out volume. It, it really can. And, you know, and I, and I hate to say it. There's a lot of good reviewers out there, and I, I don't want to <clears throat> tarnish anybody. Or give the, you know the, the the writing industry a bad name or anything, but there are reviewers I've I've seen them where um, and this is where a lot of the out of the box reviews come in, where they'll get the knife and then they'll try and use it as little as possible, keep it as new as possible, and turn it, you know, yeah, and they'll just flip it, and it's like, eh. now you know, we all got to eat, but but have some integrity, right. Right, you know, and and like you said, I mean, when you when you look when you look at the knives in in my reviews, they're they're pretty beat up. Doesn't matter how how expensive it was. Now there have been occasions where I couldn't, maybe I had to return the knife or whatever. Um, and for that, I'll try and do light stuff, you know. But uh, for the most part, you, you know, I'll, if I get a knife, it's going to be tested. Well, I've noticed on some of your reviews, in some of the pictures, the knife's pristine, and in some of them, it's obviously heavily used. Yeah. And, and I always kind of chuckle to myself. I'm like, all right, those are the knives. He t- those are the pictures he got when he he took when he first got it. Those. Are the pictures That's exactly what I do. Yeah. Yep. I get the knife. I snap the lead shot. Now, in the in the case of uh, when I was with Knives Illustrated, uh, if it was the cover knife, the first thing I do, I I'd, I'd get the cover shot, then I'd get the lead shot, and I always did like the detail shots, and then yeah, then I'd start carrying it, take it out, and just you know, beat the hell out of it. You know, and uh, it got to be it kind of it got to be kind of like an Easter egg. I'm like, oh, all right. So he uh, he cut some fat wood because that's very distinctive patina there. Right. Or, <laughs> what did he cut with it? Gotta know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look at the teeth wear on that. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's good stuff. Or when Dan uses uh, stainless, he doesn't have any patina. No. <laughs> Exactly. You mean the Lord Steel? Yes, yes. That's <laughs> and, you know. I and this is actually kind of funny. You might get a, a chuckle out of this, but um, there have been times I've gotten that would have like a polished blade or something like that, and it's like no matter how much you use it, it still looks brand new. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, you know what? People are going to call me out on my own thing because <laughs> this does not look like I've used this knife. And I'm like, come on, I'm trying to do everything I can just to mar the blade up a little bit so you can see I actually used it. But I mean, some of them. Josh was over there with, Josh was over there with an Emery claw. <laughs> uh, yeah, that looks about right. That looks like a wear mark. Right. <laughs> no, I've never cheated. I've never cheated. Throwing it down <laughs> that gravel driveway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I will say this though: tactical knives. If it's if it's says it's a tactical knife, if it's billed as a tactical knife, those I'm hard on. I'm very very hard on tactical knives. If you're selling it as a tactical knife, because my view of what a tactical knife is, a tactical knife is something that has to be able to withstand anything. To me, a tactical knife is something that somebody in the military is going to carry with them when they're when they go overseas, you know, and like me. I use this knife for this, but then I can come home and swap it out for a different knife if that one didn't doesn't work for other tasks I'm planning on doing, or if it breaks, I'll come get a different one. They can't do that. They have the one knife, and they're buying it because it says tactical knife, and they're counting on this thing that this knife is going to be able to do whatever they need it to do, and it's going to hold up to it. So when it comes to tactical knives, I'm brutal on them. I've I've 
cut open the trunk lids of cars. Um, I ran, I've run them over. I've, uh, <laughs> I've stabbed multiple holes into the sides of ammo cans. Um, I've done some pretty brutal stuff to, to tactical knives just because again, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, you know, say, yeah, absolutely. This is a good quality tactical knife. I would carry it. You know, if, if it was my life on the line, you know, that, that means something to me. I'm putting my name on that. Everything I write, I put my name on that. And my name means something. My name is the one thing I can take with me, no matter where I go. I could lose everything, but my name is one thing I get to take with me. And I'm, I'm very, I'm very guarded about that. I'm very protective of my name and, and how I treat it. Yeah. So in regards to a bunch of the things that you've tested, um, I, obviously there's some, some differences between edge geometry and different stuff. What are some of the, the steels that you like using the most? You know, I've, I've been finding I'm really, really liking a lot of the S series, S30, S35, S30, S90. I'm, I'm really liking those, you know, the, the S35VN or, and S35V and, and, and like that. I'm, I'm really finding I'm liking those a lot. I like the corrosion resistance. Uh, I like the, the uh, edge retention. I'm just finding that, that they really um, have been holding up very well for me. Okay. You know, I, I I am still a big fan of of the uh, the 10 series, like 1095, or even like I know it's not 10 series, but 51, uh, 5160. I mean, I like those because they're a it's a good stout steel, but it's also very easy to ma- uh, manage in the field. So I, I like that. Like when I'm out camping, I don't want something that's gonna just be a pain to sharpen. Yeah, uh, you know, I know like a stainless steel is gonna hold an edge a little bit better. But, I mean, at some point, every edge gives way, and you're going to have to do something with it. And if I'm out in the woods and my edge starts to give way, you know, I, now I've got the problem of having to sharpen this thing out there, whereas something 1095 or 5160 or something, it's, it's pretty easy to get your, get your edge back, uh, even on just a little sharpening stone. I've got a little, little pack sharpening stone that I take with me. And, uh, Dan, I, Dan, I think you might even remember. Do you remember that uh, – I had that top Scandi Trekker that I reprofiled in uh, with just that little that little diamond stone uh, down in the Amazon when yeah, we were out in the. Didn't you put a little micro bevel on it? Yeah, I did. Yep. Yeah, I added that little secondary bevel on it. And but that's the that's the beauty of 1095. You know, I was just sitting there on a table made out of bamboo or i think it was bamboo or whatever we made it out of and yeah. just had this little diamond stone this thin little diamond stone i, I borrowed his pipes i bought one when i got home but it was pipes and i borrowed his and i just sat there and just kind of honed up this or reprofiled this edge on the scandy trekker and uh you know and it, i mean it's still it's still a good edge that edge is still holding yeah and there's What were we gonna say, Dan? Um, self-edited. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, I haven't had that much uh, sweet baby Jesus yet. All right, <laughs> awesome. It doesn't happen often. Enjoy it while you can. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I, that that steel question, though, I know you set me up there because I know there's going to be all kinds of people. Oh, he was editor knives illustrator, and he picked that. But then there's going to be the other ones that are like, oh yeah, of course. That's so. I mean, that steel's that's a hard one. That's a that's a toughie. That's the one you're going to get. That's a polarizing issue. It always is. You know, that's which is why we ask you and don't answer it ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. So I appreciate you putting me on the spot on that one. All steels. I love all steels. Unobtainium, obviously, is my favorite. All steels matter. Question you. 
Yeah, quenched in quenched in unicorn tears, and you know, that's <laughs> I've only got a couple of those. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, once you, you don't need the, too many. If you use yeah. a little handle wood from the Never Never Tree, it's <laughs> it's really the last knife you'll ever right. need. Yeah, yeah, right. See, that's what I'm saying. You get it. Slide up charge. I can get that for you. <laughs> Sweet, you're the man. All right. So, if you weren't in the knife industry, where would you be? Um, you know, <laughs> I've been I've been called a jack of all trades. I do a lot of different things. Uh, I'm I'm also an artist. Have been ever since I was a, a small child. So, I've I've done some cartooning uh, in in my past. I'd possibly go back to that. You know, do some of that. But uh, I don't know. Possibly just curl up in a corner somewhere in the fetal position and weep. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> that's what you could do if there's no knives in your life. <laughs> exactly. That's that's pretty much the sum of it. I mean, I I love knives, and I think if uh, for some reason I was no longer a part of this industry, I, it would it would be a, a blow. I mean, that would that would really be a bummer, you know. And I see what's going on over in England and stuff, and they're you know turning your knives and all this crazy stuff. It's like I could never live there. No, you know. If that, if that ever came here, I don't know what I'd do. I couldn't live in a world like that. When Beth and I were looking at uh, – she was looking at taking some overseas assignments, and we started looking at the options in other countries as far as what you were and were not allowed to have. And it was a pretty short conversation between, oh, oh looks like we're staying in the States. Yeah. Pretty much. Yep. Cool. And uh, one of the uh, the awesome questions that we uh, like to ask everybody at the end: where Where do you think the industry is going, and what's the the next big thing in in your mind? Uh, well, I mean, as far as where it's going, I, I see it getting bigger. It's it's definitely growing, you know, and and, and I think that's great. I mean, if you just look at these past two uh, blade shows as an example, I mean, they've they've opened up that whole second room over there. And have have expanded that quite you know dramatically, which I, I think is fantastic. Um, you know, Henry's doing a good job with that, really building that up. But I think I think it's the industry pushing it as much as as it is anything else. Um, so I, I I think growth is a big thing, which can be good, can be bad. I think you know sometimes you end up the the market ends up getting so saturated that uh, it's I mean that it, it becomes hard to find. Yep the wheat through the chaff. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the internet. I mean, at first it was fantastic and everybody was putting out sites and the good sites. Then all of a sudden everybody was putting out sites and now it's like, well, okay, now what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, who even knows anymore. Um, I don't think that's necessarily going to be a problem in the knife industry. I think, uh, in the, the knife industry does have a way of kind of, you know, sifting through that stuff. Um, but it, it can have it. If only, if only there were a website that would help us. With I know, that. right? <laughs> like maybe Knife and Gear Society or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. You should do Shameless that. Shameless plug. But <laughs> but I will say, uh, as far as direction, one of the things I've I've really been noticing uh, a bit of a shift towards in the knife industry is kitchen cutlery. I mean, right. that's really starting to. I'm noticing a lot of companies, even the big production companies, are starting to starting to head into the, the kitchen cutlery um, segment, which I think is pretty cool. I'm personally not a chef. Um, so, I mean, I, but I do like a good kitchen knife. You know, I, I like, I like the proper knife for the job. I, you know, it's, I think it, you should, if you're going to do a job, you should use the right knife. But the problem is, my, 
I said, you don't have to be a chef to appreciate the difference between a Yugo and a Corvette. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you you know, once you start cutting with a chef's knife, you know why why they use them. Um, you know, but part of the part of the situation that I have is my wife is blind, and she doesn't like knives. <laughs> as funny as it is, she doesn't because you know she's kind of afraid of them. She'll say it. Yeah. So she doesn't allow me to catch keep her kitchen knife sharp. And I keep telling her, I'm like, that's so dangerous. You're killing me here. I'm like, you're driving me crazy using these dull knives you're going to cut yourself but she's she's just terrified of sharp knives because she kind of has to feel the edge a little bit to find the edge to know if she has the knife even up or up or down correctly yeah um so i have my personal kitchen chef knives that i keep in a drawer in their boxes so she doesn't accidentally (laughs) run her hand over them or anything but but uh you know yeah really I, i think kitchen knives is is there's a it's booming right now it's taken off there's a lot going on with that Really, you don't get your knives. That's really cool. I know Dan and I both see the see the the explosion in kitchen knives with stuff like that. We yeah. both primarily make well, Dan's <laughs> primarily making Keparts now, but I mean, yeah. I mainly make <laughs> kitchen welcome. knives. <laughs> you know, it's a good thing I like making that knife because I'm making a lot of them. <laughs> but. I, I appreciate it. I did that just for you, man. You were getting way too much sleep. Yeah. (laughs) I had no idea that. I'm sorry, self editing again. (laughs) Oh. No, I. I, Or Kyle editing. (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure Kyle agrees, but we both absolutely see. And I think part of it is. As the knife community becomes more educated on what a good knife is, and as some of the outdoor guys have started to appreciate, hey, geometry and balance and edge performance and all of that, how that affects their their knife use in the woods, eventually they're going to come back and go, hey, this $20 piece of Walmart that I've been using in the kitchen, you know, the same thing holds true. Yeah in the kitchen as it does outdoors. Absolutely. It really does. And you know what? And mentioning that, you know, one of the the funny things when you really look at it is there are even companies that uh, are doing outdoor kitchen knives now. Yeah. That's even becoming a segment in the market, you know, is that they're, they're creating knives specifically for camp kitchens. You know, uh, I mean, like like you said, and, and I think really kitchen knives do help you appreciate edge geometry really more than anything, you know, and, and the, the different primary bevels and stuff like that and, and their function and, and uh, how they work for different, fun, you know, different uses and stuff like that. And I think, I think kitchen knives is probably one area that really has helped to, in people's understanding of that moving forward. Yeah. And a bunch of my, my customers, they, a lot of them with the, the recession and stuff started cooking more, but they used to go out almost every meal and then they started making three or four meals at a time. And then now they've uh, swapped from their, their kind of hundred dollar set of knives and uh, they're really loving to cook. And then their, their significant other goes, I really want to get them a special knife. And then once they have that one, then just keep snowballing. Yeah. I've, I've noticed it goes from the Walmart knife to something like a Hinkle or a Wustoff. 
And then from there it goes to the, you know, I, I want a custom made you know, specific high end kitchen knife. Yeah. But that usually, that tends to be the trend I see. Well, you know, and, and the reality of it is, I mean, that, that even plays out in just the, all segments of, of the knife industry. You know, when you, when you, you're used to going out and just replacing your $15 uh, folder at Walmart every time you break one or dull it out. And then somebody hands you a nice, you know, real like a nice, good solid knife uh you know whether it's even whether it's a product some production spider co or something like that to some of the higher end stuff it, it you start to learn why you pay for pay more for a better knife when you've got that edge retention and when when the geometry of the blade is thought out better and and the you, everything lasts better it holds together better stuff like that Sometimes, you know, that's what it takes is just, you know, people don't know what they don't know. And as far as their concern, you know, they go out to Walmart, I can get a knife for 20 bucks. Why would I pay 150 bucks or whatever for a knife? Would I just keep going and buying this $20 knife? It's like, well, because you keep buying a $20 knife every year, eventually you've paid that same amount and you're still going to have to go do it again. Whereas you could just pay this price, get this good knife, and it's going to outlast all of those. You know, well, and a good tool will make a task easier. It makes a chore less of a Absolutely. chore. And just a lot more fun, too. Yeah. It's the, the joy of kind of having something that someone handmade uh, specifically for a specific person. Yep. Plus, it, plus it's a way to tell your, your foodie brother-in-law that you're a better person than he is. <laughs> yeah. Nanner, nanner, boo-boo. Yeah. And and neener neener neener, I have the cooler one. Do not underestimate the value of that. <laughs> I have bought many an item that I didn't need just to prove to my brother I was better than him. Well, you know, and the, the funny thing is, I mean, speaking of brothers, um, my brother has always been one of those guys that you know he would go to Walmart and he'd pick up a Kershaw. I mean, like a nice little Kershaw, you know, good knives. It'd last him, but it, you know, to him, it was like, hey, why? I'm just gonna go get this knife. You know, it's it's perfectly fine. He'd go get like a nice Ken Onion Kershaw, and I'm like, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good knife. But you know, same thing. He just keeps doing that. And then uh, I I got a couple of really nice folders into his hands. And man, I'll tell you what, my brother is like a knife junkie right now. I'm not even kidding you. He loves knives. I think it's way cool. You know, it's it's pretty awesome because now we we talk knives all the time. Whereas it used to be, I'd try and talk knives with him, and he's like, uh uh. He just had that sort of glazed over look. You know, it's like, yeah, I just I got this Kershaw. You know. <laughs> But now it's like he calls me almost every day. It's like, oh, man, I was over on this Facebook thing and that Facebook and looking at this and that and talking to these people. And, man, I'm making trades for this knife and that knife, and I'm buying that knife. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> he's almost more of a junkie than me. <laughs> but, but it's kind of cool, you know. Now he's, uh, he's, he's joined. I've brought him over to the dark side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how many people I've kind of pulled into. Um, they're like, I, I, I bought my knife because, or bought your knife because I wanted to support you. And man, now I want to buy two or three or four more one yeah. of them. So and then that's that really is the the power of getting a quality knife in your hand is that it, it will change your your view and the way you the way you see knives in as a whole, you know, and their function and. And like we were talking about, the different edge geometry and the comfort and the build and the fit and finish and all these kind of things. 
a Honda Civic will get you wherever you want to go, but the but there are reason people buy Corvettes, and Lamborghinis, and Ferraris and stuff. Yeah, um, one of the analogies I use is I've got a '65 Mustang. When I drive that down the street, everybody knows that requires a certain level of skill for me to maintain it, for me to be able to drive it. It's power, nothing. You know, it, it, it's old school. And I take a certain amount of pleasure in driving it because it, you, you got to be aware it takes a little more than, than some other vehicles. But my wife could dr- climb into a, a 2018 Mustang and blow my doors off. Yeah. 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 There, there is a pleasure to having a really fine tool that lets you be great at the task without putting all that effort into it. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and you're right. And a good, good knife will make a job much easier. Wow. I've been like really talkative. I've dragged this thing all, almost to two hours. I have a feeling that when this, when, when this finally comes out, it's going to be like an hour long and all my answers are going to be like, yes. no no we uh we've actually gotten quite a bit of feedback from some other uh listeners that say they actually like the the podcast a little longer but uh the editor of our podcast doesn't like them to be super long (laughs) which is me (laughs) depending depending on the week kyle's had it'll either be a a two-hour podcast or it'll be 15 minutes of yes no yes yes no Right. Well, <laughs> right. where can they find you? Yeah. Well, well thanks for coming on. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. The short, short version. <laughs> yeah. So, um, let's, uh, we want to talk about some of the ways that people can find you. We've got your, your website, the jswanigan.com uh, and Instagram, uh, jswanigan01. 01. Um, yep. Do you have a Instagram for the the knife and knifegear.com yet or I do. It's it's knife and gear society. Knife and gear society. All right. We'll make sure that's yep, in there. And uh yep. the knife and gear society.com uh website. Is there anywhere else that uh, yep. you want to direct people to if the, they want to see some of your work or follow what you're doing? No, that's pretty much my channels right there. Uh, the jswanigan.com, that one's got a lot of my photography, knife photography and stuff like that. And that's another thing I do is uh, knife photography. So, you know, if anybody ever, like I was talking about making sure you get good quality photography, you know, I do that. And uh, I love, I, that's something I love is knife photography. I love trying to just make a knife pop. It's, it can have its challenges sometimes, but it's a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, knifeandgearsociety.com, jswanigan.com, and then uh, on Facebook, I, I my personal page, I usually kind of keep a little locked down. Uh, just, you know, it's my personal life there. But I do have Joshua Swanigan Outdoors. That's my Jay Swanigan uh, profile, basically. So Joshua Swanigan Outdoors and then uh, Knife and Gear Society. Uh, I've got a Facebook page for that as well. And then, as you mentioned, the the Instagram, Jay Swanigan 01, and then Knife and Gear Society. Uh, Knife and Gear Society, yeah. Okay. Cool. We'll make sure that all those uh, things are linked up in the the con- or the the show notes and stuff on the site. Awesome. I appreciate that. And uh, do you have any other questions for him, Dan? Um, I think. I mean, 
I really, I, I would like to ask some more questions because really anything I can do to give you more editing, I, <laughs> I, I just feel that's appalling. <laughs> but uh, no, I, uh, I, I think that's pretty much covered it. All righty. Uh, so we'd like to thank our uh, our sponsor, Jess Hoffman, again for sp- helping sponsor the podcast. Is you can find his knives on Instagram at jhoffmanknives, and his handle material at jhoffmanhardwoods. Uh, make sure you, uh, if you end up finding some stuff, let him know you heard about him here, or want him to help keep supporting the the podcast. Want to try to make sure you guys know his stuff, and you can follow the podcast at knifeperspective.com. And you can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Knife Perspective. And uh, they can find the podcast on pretty much any uh, podcast app or uh, uh, catcher app, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In Radio. Um, that's all the, or a bunch of the, the ones. You can find Dan at dogwoodcustomknives.com, and you can find him at Dogwood Custom Knives on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, if you want to send him an email, uh, hit him up at dan at dogwoodcustomknives.com. You can get a touch with me at uh, cagedailyknives.com and uh, cagedailyknives on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, you can get a touch with me at kyle at cagedailyknives.com or kyle at knifeperspective.com. Uh, either one works. And, uh, yeah, thanks for, uh, thank you everybody for listening to the podcast. Let us know if you have any suggestions for show topics or, uh, people you want to hear or any questions, things like that. Questions. We're supposed to ask for questions. Do we have yeah. questions? Oh, and, uh, I don't think we've ever actually said this, but on the, uh, the different podcast, um, places, please, uh, leave a comment. I've been told that that's, uh helps get us out to more people so if you can leave a comment on the on itunes and spotify and a bunch of those other uh, places that hopefully help get the word out very few people everybody complains but very few people actually tell you when you're doing a good job be a trendsetter tell them they're doing a good job (laughs) hell get on there and complain we just need comments man Talk about how annoying I am. I'm good with that. Just you know, good two, three, four times. Right. I'll be out there soon. <laughs> yeah, make I sure you direct the uh, all the negative stuff to Dan at Dogwood Custom oh, Knives. No, 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 no. And... Uh-huh. If you want to complain, you do it in the comments where I get credit for it. Uh, <laughs> all righty. I want to thank you, Joshua. It has been uh, been great getting some insight and uh, what goes on with writing and uh, kind of the other side that we don't really really see but just read. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me. Had a great time. Thanks, Jeff. All right. You got anything else, Dan? That's it. Say good night. All right. All righty. Thank good you, night. everybody. Well, let's take it to the edge because that's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're gonna talk about our things now. That's what's expected. It's the night prospective. Prospective. To make the pledge. Take it to the